לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, Hello and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamud from Highland Park, Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shamet in Highland Park, New Jersey. With me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler in Solomon Schechter in Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshe Chesed in New York City. It's great to see you. We're recording this on Hanukkah, so it's the last day of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Great to see you. We were, you know, before the, the, we were talking about our, our Hebrew acronyms, So Rabbi Chesler is, uh, for those uh, keeping score here, it's the Rikach, <laughs> the Rikach. <laughs> and Rabbi Kalmanovsky is the Rishak, and I'm the Reim. And uh, we are so happy that you are here with us, all of our viewers. We're, we're getting some real good statistics with the viewers here. Thank you for spending some time with us, uh, learning with us, studying the Parsha. We're really enjoying it. going through these Breshit, and, and we are, it's, it's stunning to even think about this idea that we're, we're just three Parshiot from the end of uh, Sefer Breshit with Parsha Miketz this Shabbat. Wow, this Parsha, again, <laughs> the greatest Parshiot <laughs> in the Torah. Uh, there's so much to talk about. We're going to skip over the, the beginning, which is just the, the dreams that Pharaoh has, the, the seven fat cows, the seven skimmed cows, the seven stalks of grain, And, and we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with the, the moment that um, Pharaoh is so bewildered, he turns to, or, or the, the Saramashkim, one of my least favorite ca- characters in the Torah, says, Barry, do you want to just comment on that? I would love to hear your well, comment. Well, I have to comment on it. The reason why you don't like the Saramashkim, he's later taken over by defective detective fiction and it's the butler who always did it <laughs> so here the butler does it as well when we last heard from him last week he was forgetting all about joseph joseph gave him the great dream interpretation assured him that he would be returned to pharaoh's court in his proper role as the wine steward and jacob uh joseph i mean adjured him to remember him to pharaoh so that he too could get out of prison And of course, he says, "I will do so," and he promptly forgets them. And it leads to this great scene at the beginning of this week was my senior sermon way back when in rabbinical school, um, when the butler announces he has a dream interpreter for Pharaoh, and he says, "Hayom." I mentioned my sins today, referring according to the rabbis to the sin that against Pharaoh, which resulted in being in prison, and also the, his sin in forgetting Yosef. So he remembers at the end that he was supposed to mention, mention Yosef earlier. And, you know, one of the curiosities of this stretch of the Torah is that God is not visible. He appears behind the scenes. And I think here, too, we see God operating behind the scenes, that all of a sudden the butler remembers at this opportune time when Pharaoh needs Yosef, 
and it might not have done Joseph any good had he remembered him earlier. May, may I just offer a rebuttal here, okay? I, I, this, you can I, try. I, I think he is one of the most loathsome characters in the entire Oh, oh yeah, yeah. What do you uh, make of the baker then? <laughs> He's not back to, 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 to talk about himself. This guy is only about self-service. He only thinks about himself. He, the reason why he says, is not out of piety. It's out of the desire for self-advancement. If I do this favor for Pharaoh, if I provide the inter- a successful key to unlocking his mysteries, maybe I will be elevated. This is, it's a Haman moment. This is, he, he really is in that, for me, he's in that category. He's a despicable person. You think he just forgot Joseph. He actively pushed Joseph out of his mind. It was not in his self-interest to remember Joseph, therefore he doesn't. Well, I, so, I love the fact that you mentioned that you can compared him to Haman because one of the things that is, uh, you know, the Bible has a has a, a small number of stories. It loves to retell the same stories and loves to allude to other stories. And there's a lot of, of verbal play in this story, which makes you think of the Esther story, yes. right? It's a, it's a court story. It's about it's about the non-Jew in the court. He wears big deshes. She wears these fine linen garments. And I and I do think that the, this story and the Esther story are about Jewish consciousness of hiding, of passing, of manipulating their roles in these much, much, much more powerful non-Jewish kingdoms. So, so I don't exactly agree with you about this character, but I think that the, the fact of the wine um, element and the fact that these are all about the, the court, I do think makes the, these stories very, very alignable. Absolutely. There's, there, and the whole notion of the elevation from nothing to something powerful you know, it's, it's parallel to Esther, and and Esther comes out of out of obscurity. Joseph, really, I mean, literal obscurity, the worst he could be in 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 Egypt, and and is elevated right to the to the privy council, the the uh, the that's a Canadian term. Sorry. The small the small council in uh, in in Westeros in uh, what was the show? The uh, Game of Thrones. Exactly. He's he's, he's the hand of the king right up there. So 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 okay. So we're going to disagree about about. His virtue, okay. I think he's a despicable character. I think he's an honorable character. Well, maybe not. <laughs> he's not the most loathsome guy in the Torah. There right. is some loathsome hey, people hey, in the Torah. Hey, right. In my Jeopardy category of loathsome category, I think loathsome, loathsome people for six hundred. <laughs> he is loathsome. Okay. Well, you All might right. put so, Haman in that category too. Good. So. Pharaoh, so we, we, we're going to fast forward. Joseph successfully interprets the dream. And uh, this is another great scene. Pharaoh likes the idea, okay? Likes what Joseph has done. And I'm on chapter uh, 41, verse 38. Pharaoh says to his, his courtiers, the people around him, you see a guy like this. This is a guy. This is a guy. <laughs> a guy like this does not come along every day. Are any of you as smart as this guy? None of you are as smart as this guy. <laughs> this is a guy, right? So I always like to say... Oh, so here, Elliot, I have to interject here. It's worth mentioning here that we're reading a Hebrew version of the story. Okay. You can't think for a moment that in 
in the Egyptian version of the story, this line would appear. So right, it's because the narrative is imbued with the Israelite culture, writing for the Israelite culture, he attributes the Ruach Elohim here. Sure, sure. That's very foreign to the Egyptian view. But but the politics and, and I think we have to we have to mention that. Okay, fine. I get you, I get that that that, that this is all seeped in, in uh, Egyptian kind of you know, and it's a it's it's not the verbatim here. But the, what's interesting here is that there's a political manipulation going on because, because Joseph comes from obscurity and, and is dropped into the, 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 the leadership echelon of, of Egyptian society. That has got to bother, you know, the, the people uh, running the show. You know, the, 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 the lifelong politicians who've been beside Pharaoh uh, for their careers suddenly get a, 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 new, a newbie a new shaven young precocious kid who's going to tell who's going to now dictate everything in Egypt right but he also won the competition fair and square because when the dreams were presented to them the khartoumim they couldn't explain them joseph was able to explain them so pharaoh rewards him for serving him better than the khartoumim did yeah okay except for the fact you know, if, if you've been Mr., you know, the chief of staff to Pharaoh up until this point, and suddenly Joseph comes in, you're, you're going to take keys off his keyboard. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna sabotage him. It's not, I don't think, unless, unless everybody is really, you know, in it together. I don't know. I, I, I see well, the... So, again, this is the, this is the story of the minority person. Right in the minority community, our guy gets to the top. Okay, because he's so great, and I think that this is one of the things that minority communities like to talk about. They're a guy on top, right? And uh, you know, it would be interesting to have even just to think about what an Egyptian version of the story might be. Well, you know, Joseph might not have been the second in command. So he I, might have been, you know, third tier bureaucrat helping the guy get a, you know, he would be the advisor to the secretary of state, let us say, not the secretary of state. But in our story, he's got to be the secretary of state. Okay. This is why the story I think is really interesting from the perspective of uh, the Jews or the Israelites, you know, obviously you're, you're correct, right? This, this is, we have inherited our story of our person who is prodigiously talented, who has God's ear, who has, you know, God's gracious gifts, who is Ishmatzliach, whatever he touches turns to God, God is with him and he's Ishmatzliach. Uh, but I think that this, this relates to the classical Jewish consciousness of our efforts to succeed in Gentile kingdoms. You know, the, the Bible is, is amazing though. The Bible is told as the story of a small people which lo and behold just happens to occupy the road between Mesopotamia and Egypt. I mean, it's like you can't overestimate the, the way in which that shapes the Israelite consciousness. We live on the road between the two greatest empires of the world and they are constantly interacting with us. And if we're gonna succeed, it's because we're gonna have to play well in this game. And that's a really hard thing. And so part of the ways that we Jews tell that story about ourselves, 
I, this may be a little ugly to say, but this is the story that we tell ourselves. It's a Yiddish cup. The Yiddish cup makes cease right, to it well, that, we, that we can succeed. There's another piece to it, which is worth recalling because you mentioned the Esther story. So we have the Jew Yosef in Egypt, the Jew Esther in Persia, Bavel, and they do great in the non-Jewish world. The Jewish world is the one that's going to collapse in the Bible, right? It's going to be destroyed and people are going to be exiled, but it's okay because we can make it in Galut. Okay, so so taking on that theme, let's let's pick up with that and move to you know, uh, Joseph gets elevated, he, he gets married off, he, he marries, you know, essentially royalty in Egyptian society, Osnat Bat Potifera Kohen On, the daughter of a high priest, and then he names his children. Uh, Jeremy, you want to just tell us, the, I'll give you the verse, Vayikra Yosef et Shema Bechor Menasheh, Joseph calls his firstborn, Ki Nashani Elohim et Kol Amali, et Kol He names the first, the, the first child he names Menasheh, which means Cause me to forget all my suffering. Joseph, who, who has been treated, you know, by his by his uh, native family, so difficult, so bad. I mean, yes, he is tremendously talented. Yes, he is the one with these with these veridical dreams that remind him that he that he is in fact much more important and much better than his than his brothers. But of course, they hate him, and of course, they make him suffer. And his own ambivalence, he wants to forget all of that pain. He wants to forget all of that suffering. So he names his child, he names the first of those child children, Menashe, the God made me forget all my suffering. How about the second one? Yeah, but except for the irony of saying, of naming your child, you've made me forget. <laughs> you know, the irony. So, yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's a great irony because um, uh, in, in addition to hanging the lantern on all the stuff that he needs to forget. There's a, there's a wonderful midrash that'll be relevant as the Parsha goes on, that when the brothers uh, come to Egypt, they speak to each other uh, in a language, you know, in Hebrew, and there's an interpreter between Joseph and them. They don't know that Joseph speaks their language because he's acting as if he needs the interpreter. And the midrash holds that the interpreter is Menashe, meaning that this child whose name means forgetting, who's, who perhaps even knows his father, not as Yosef ben Yaakov, but as Tzafnat Paneach, with his, with his Egyptian name and his Egyptian wife and his Egyptian clothes, and he's riding the Pharaoh's chariot and he's wearing the Pharaoh's ring. Joseph taught that child Hebrew. Joseph somehow gave that child the connection to all the pain that he ostensibly wants to forget, but he doesn't want to forget it. He actually does preserve it. That ambivalence is, is to me, a really strong character of Joseph. Right. So, so part of it has to, go ahead. has to do with his discomfort with who he is, right? Because he tells, he names a child that God has caused me to forget my suffering because there are going to be times when he, Joseph, is going to remember his suffering and the name Menashe is going to remind him he has to forget about it. So would that you that's think, not where he is anymore. Would you think that Joseph is racked with a, a certain degree of doubt, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, that he has been elevated to this status and doesn't deserve it, is undeserving, or, or um, it, you know, his idea? I mean, this is certainly one of the one of the pieces of tension in the yeah, story. I, I think it's hidden. His real identity is a precarious place. 
Exactly. Right. You can never be, you know, this is the original Zionist dream. You can never be too sure of where you are when you're in Galut. Well, take the second name then, Ki Ephrani Elohim Be'eretz Onyi, Jeremy. Ephraim. Ephraim is named Ki Ephrani Elohim Be'eretz Onyi. God has made me fertile in the land of my affliction. So what is the land of my affliction? With, with respect to um, with respect to Menashe, it's got, he made me forget all my suffering and made me forget my ancestral home. But now here Ephraim's name is Ephrani Be'eretz Onyi. He is made, God has made me, Ephrani Elohim Be'eretz Onyi, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The land of my suffering has to be Egypt in that story, in that, in that line, right? So, so Ephraim means that even though I am in Galut, and I think that, that Elliot, what you were saying about the, the ambivalence and uncertainty, on, on, one, on one level, he's absolutely certain. He has just totally kicked butt. He came out of prison. He told Pharaoh, you need to get the smartest guy to run things for you. And by the way, the smartest guy happens to be standing right in front of you. And Pharaoh says, you're right. I've never seen anybody quite like you. You are, you are the man. You are the big guy. And I'm going to give you know make you my number two, but Joseph's own ambivalence is, is exactly all those things that you were saying. He is called to return to Beta B, and he is called to think of Egypt as Eretz Onyi, as as he's called to return to his ancestral home, and he's called to think of Egypt as a place that is 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 also his alienation. All right, so then the- and it's going to prefigure Moses' name for his child. Gershom. We move on into because he was a gear in a strange land. The the, the famine now ensues, and the the turning point, or at least one turning point here, by Yar Yaakov Kiesh Shever Bemitzrayim. Jacob sees that there's Shever, which means food or rations or or, uh, something of substance in Egypt. The Midrash likes to pun on the word Shever, also is Sever, which is hope or shever as shivaron, as brokenness, okay? So Joseph, Jacob sees that there's the possibility of sustenance there and dispatches the brothers, that is 10 of them, to Egypt that is without, without Benjamin. And here, again, heartbreaking scenes of the Bible category, okay? For 400. For 400. Daily double. So, so uh, jo- this, is, this, is, this is where... The, the beginning of the encounter, they, the, the brothers of Joseph come before him and they bow down to him. He recognizes them. So I, 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 for my neshama, just take me into the, 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 the space between and Jeremy, go with that. He recognizes them. He sees who they are. He re- has got to remember, you know, the Bible will, will tell us when the brothers are feeling bad about this, that Joseph, it won't, it won't have recorded this back in the episodes when they were happening, but as the brothers talk to themselves about their own suffering before Joseph in Egypt, they will say, do you remember he was begging us and we ignored him? He was calling to us. He was pleading with us to take him out of the of the pit, and we ignored him. That was them at their worst. And so he presumably sees all of that, and and he acted as a foreigner to them. 
he did not respond to their suffering um, per, and, and at, at the simplest semantic level, he acted as a foreigner. He was not Yosef Ben Yaakov, he was Tzafnat Paneach. He was wearing his Egyptian clothes with his Egyptian name, his Egyptian wife, his Egyptian kids, his Egyptian family, and he says, I, ha I have nothing to do with you. And we know that they once said, we want nothing to do with you. And now he's, he's turn to say, I want nothing to do with you. Okay, but he doesn't really do that. He, he, he doesn't, in fact, the ambivalence of Yosef is the best part of him because he, he, at the same time, he does feed them, he does take care of them, and he sets it up so that 25 moves down the chessboard, there will be a reconciliation. It's precisely at that moment that, that he, he has to make a decision. It's, it's a strategic moment between the recognition and the acting as foreign or acting cruelly to them. Vaidna Kerr has a lot of range here. It's, it's not only, you know, he, he, he's, he's standoffish. He makes a decision that he's, gonna, he's really going to bust them. And, and, and the story obviously could go in so many different directions. He could have been happy to see them. He could have revealed himself immediately. He could have said air, you know. But why he does that? Why? Why he becomes vindictive? Would he, do you, I mean, do you agree with me that he's vindictive? Here? Oh, of course, of course. He does. He does have a lot of water under the bridge, and he's they like they threw him in the pit. They heard him begging. They said, "The hell with you." By the way, you know, speaking about uh, Barry said before about the names of 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 Yosef's children echo the names of Moshe's children. The Egyptians will come to a spot where they don't know Joseph. And there's a, there's a, an, uh, a foreshadowing of all the people who pretend what they don't know and the, and the things that they, they pretend are, uh, are they, they deny the connections that, that are actually real. All right, so Joseph charges them. He says, You are spies. Whoa, you come to see the nakedness of the land. All right. Joseph, Joseph is a character. Joseph is a character whose vulnerability and whose clothing are very essential to the whole sets of stories. We know that Joseph's clothing in the coat of many colors, in, in the clothing that that, Pharaoh, that Potiphar's wife snatched off of him, in the clothing that he wears in prison and is changed to come up to Pharaoh and then is changed yet again, the very fancy clothing that he gets um, when, when he becomes Pharaoh's number two. Um, and he says to them, you've come to see the nakedness of the land, which might be the vulnerability of the land, and it might be in this, in this global crisis of famine, but I can't help but thinking that he's saying, you're going to see my nakedness. You're going to see the, the vulnerability that you're going to see. Was that Yosef? That was me. That was it was Yosef. No, it was Yosef calling you. He wants to say that. But Joseph is saying, you're going to see my vulnerability. You're going to see my nakedness. And the the perhaps um you know the, the fakery that is him dressing up as Tzafnat Paneach. That's interesting. So you're seeing the the, the, the charge is really a a projection of, of his own vulnerability. That's brilliant. Koha Koha Posel the Mumo Posel is the Talmud says. Anybody who accuses somebody else of of, of uh defect of defect they're really naming the the defect that they feel about themselves. Uh, Barry, the re, the so, reaction of the brothers, or or well, it begs the question though, and I was going to mention this earlier. Why does 
Jacob sent 10 brothers to Egypt. That should be in the media red flag. Right, that they're doing something. What? They have to have a minion, they have to daven. <laughs> Actually, by the way, it, that's not a joke. The Yerushalmi learns out the minion from the 10 brothers, not from the 10 spies, which is much better, uh, right? Uh, um, I would, I would much well, it rather. Depends on learn. how effective your prayers are. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather derive the source of a minion is ten from these ten brothers than from the ten faithless spies. Okay, so that's your point, and that's, that's a very nice point. So, but when they show up in Egypt, that's a threat because why are there so many people in one band? Yeah, and I suspect that it says something about the size of Egyptian families as well that they probably tend to be much smaller. So they assure him, you know, they say we're the sons of one man and we're honest, which Radak, David Kimchi suggests, they're honest about being the sons of one man. They have to reassure Yosef that they're telling the truth. Um, but it does raise a question about their honesty altogether. Are they really honest people? You know, they've been deceitful with their father. They're deceitful, perhaps throughout, you know, in the great story of Yehuda and Tamar, I think one can make the case that Yehuda is deceitful as well. And um, it's like a running thread. They're deceit. But in their own eyes, they see themselves as being honest. You know, they told the truth once, and that, and that will carry the day for them. So... We see the irony of 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 their of their state, how how righteous they are. I mean, you know, leave it leave it to a a, a stealthful person to proclaim how innocent they, they really are, and and you know how how much guilt they are living with in in what they did with their brother. Okay, so we don't have a lot of time left, but let let's just. So what happens? What happens is uh, uh, they they um, Joseph says he locks them all up. Uh, he ends up taking Shimon as a hostage. Uh, comment on that, Jeremy. Shimon, poor Shimon. <laughs> this is this is uh, you know this is a, this is a great element in the narrative because you know the, I mean I could I could say this next week at Vayigash where Vayigash is really the strongest thing, which is that the, you know the Talmud says, how do you know you're a Baal Shuba? Like when do you know you really repented? when you're in the same situation where you once did something bad and this time you choose to do something good. Like, you know, you, you could still sin, you could still replicate your bad action, but this time you decide to turn it around. So Yosef seems to be repeatedly saying, okay, we're going to keep throwing brothers into pits until you guys rescue one of them. And we're going to ultimately, they're, they're going to reconcile when Judah rescues Benjamin Next week. Next week. But this Spoiler. week, <laughs> but this week, he says, okay, guys, I'm going to throw Shimon into the pit. And they go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> so, okay. And they go back to Jacob, right? And then, and because they have to bring Benjamin down. And it's, it's like, at that point, Jacob says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Joseph's gone. Shimon's gone. Take him. Take him. What the, and, you know, here you got to feel, and I, we don't really have a chance to talk about the, 
the emotion, the emotion of the story. There's so much emotion. Right? There's there's just so much crying. There are tears. There's there's anguish. There's guilt. There's frustration. Yes. And there's, the, there's the, 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 you know we're we're all parents. We're all the 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 three of us are blessed with four children apiece, and we love them. And and I have to say that there is no nightmare. We, we we've also in, in the rabbinate. We've also in in our work known people who've had the ultimate loss. You cannot even conceive, Elliot. You know your your parents. That's right. That's your parents right. lost lost children. It's the ultimate loss, and I can't even conceive of it. And so the emotion of the Jacob uh, evinces in this story. You know when he said we talked about this last last week that he refused to be comforted. Man, I just. Uh, the, the emotional strength of the story is about that unimaginable, unimaginable loss. Now it's happened twice, and I'm worried it's going to happen a third time, and I just can't bear it. So we didn't talk about this prior to this, but but you got, you, I mean, again, heartbreaking verses of scripture, okay? By Joseph sees Benjamin, by, in chapter 43, verse 29. By is this your brother? Is this your little brother? Yes. He, he can't hold it back. And what does he go? He goes to cry. He has to go into a back room to, to bawl his eyes out. And then... He gets a, you've got to love Joseph here, the, the fortitude of the character, but, but you see he's broken. He gets a, washes his face, has to go back and face them. I'm sorry. And that word is going to be significant next week. He just has to push it all down. I love it. It's just, it's just all about emotion. <laughs> all right. We leave off. We leave off at the end. Take us to the end of the story. Benjamin. Harry, hit it. Tell us about tell us about the bags and the food and the and the cup. So they're ready to go back again. And you know what happened the first time, of course, their money was returned to them secretly. And they're very puzzled and troubled by that. And they're reassured that Pharaoh was paid, that God must have given them the money. And now the same thing is going to happen. But this time, in addition to the money being returned in the sack, the goblet of Yosef is going to be put in Benjamin's sack. And as soon as, almost as soon as they leave, Yosef is going to send a servant to get them. And, you know, it's reminiscent of the scene with Lavan in the way that they behave, because they say things that they really should not say. They're so sure that they're all innocent that they say that let the person who took it be dead and we'll all be your slaves. And Joseph is going to say to them, I'll just keep the guy who has the goblet and you're all free. And of course, the guy who has the goblet is going to be Benjamin. And, you know, it, it, it's reminiscent when Laban comes looking for his, his household gods. And it's a trope that appears elsewhere in the Torah. You know, Rachel, when she has Yosef, 
says that God has given me one more son, and the Torah makes sure that has exactly one more son, and to make sure that there can be no mistake about that, she's going to die in childbirth of Benjamin, having Benjamin, who she likes to call Ben-Oni, the son of my uh, my suffering. Okay, so so they find the they find the thing in in Benjamin's sack, and here clothing vayikru simlotam. They tear their clothing vayamos ish al chamaro, and they they vayashuvair, and they go back. To the to the city, and that this is uh, where where the parsha ends off, really at the cliffhanger. Ju- Judah, Judah, go ahead, Jeremy. No, the, I was just going to say that that obviously the Torah doesn't make the parshiot. Jewish tradition has made the parshiot, and the fact that this one ends off on the cliffhanger. Oh, well done, well done, Jewish people. You have <laughs> you have you know left us there. Waiting to find out is is Benjamin, you know, like, like I said before, Joseph in the pit, they let him go. Shimon in the pit, they let him go. Now Benjamin's gonna be in the pit. Are we going to save him? <laughs> you better come back to show next Shabbos. <laughs> no, I, I know people, I remember in, there was one professor I says, whenever I get to this part, I always read the next parsha during the Aftora. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but to... we didn't get to the Haftarah, which we is... We were going to get to the Haftarah. The Haftarah is the story of, of the two prostitutes who are fighting over the whose child is the... Loki your, your child is the dead one. No, my child is... Your child is the, is the living one. Your child is the dead one. Mine is the living one. No, no, it's mine who's the living one. Yours is the dead one. The famous Bible story, this is our Haftarah, which we often don't read because it's usually Hanukkah around here. But this year we're actually going to get to that that haftarah. Yeah, there's just so much, so much content. It's all emotional, all beautiful, all great storytelling. It's it's. If there was a Shabbos to be listening to the parsha and the haftarah, it would be this Shabbos and next Shabbos. And we thank you, and the one after that, and we thank you guys for all being here. <laughs> That's it. So so we've come to the end of our our conversation. This is uh, very joyful. As we are ending up the Hanukkah, full, full night of Hanukkah tonight, so it is on Thursday. Um, so we want to wish everyone a beautiful Shabbat and enjoy, enjoy, the joy of Torah as you enjoyed it.